This is an Equity Mates Media podcast. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is you Welcome to another episode of Equity Mates, a podcast that follows our journey of investing. Whether you're an absolute beginner or approaching Warren Buffett status, our aim is to break down your barriers from beginning to dividend. My name is Bryce, and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How are you going? I'm very good, Bryce. I'm very excited for this episode. We've got one of our favorite expert investors returning to the podcast, I think for a third time. Yeah, it's big. Uh, And, you know, we're going to cover a lot in this episode, but yeah, I'm excited to get stuck in. It's our absolute pleasure pleasure to welcome good friend of the show, Paul Wilson. Paul, welcome to Equity Mates. Hi, Bryce. Hi, Ren. It's uh, it's great to be back chatting to you guys. There's been a lot happening since the last time. A lot happening, yeah. And we always find we walk away with, from these conversations with you feeling very inspired about investing. So, um, looking forward to understanding what's been happening at Bailador over the last few months and a couple of the big deals that you've been doing. But for those who are unaware of Paul, Paul is the co-founder and partner at Bailador Technology Investments. The ASX ticker is BTI. They specialize in investing uh, capital in fast-growing Australian businesses. In today's conversation, we're going to look at the Bailador portfolio, take a closer look at two specific case studies, and then pick Paul's brains on the vibrant and successful startup scene here in Australia. So let's crack in. Yeah. So Paul, we want to, you know, we want to cover a lot of ground in this conversation, but I think we have to start with the past 18 months because it's been a fascinating 18 months uh, watching Bailador from the outside. Your share price was cut in half in the early days of the pandemic and has since uh, jumped up 165%, meaning it's uh, blown past its pre-COVID levels and it's up 35% since the start of 2020. So if we start pretty general, um, what have you learned about markets and about Bailador's portfolio companies in the past 18 months? Uh, well, I guess it was mainly a reinforcement for us that you have to expect that there's going to be turbulent conditions along the way and you have to be able to withstand that without relying on the market always being there. Uh, I think I have, might have said to you guys before, you shouldn't invest based on an expectation of perfect execution. Uh, it's why we focus on the fundamentals of a business much more than the market ups and downs. So every time we invest, we assume that the business uh, is going to have some ebbs and flows and that we're going to be involved for a number of years and be uh, involved through some of those ebbs and flows. So for us, the foundations are always 
compelling product market fit, established customer base with predictable revenue, broad customer base if possible, solid business model with high margins, and perhaps most importantly, a great management team who can adapt. So that, that's why we, we really carefully select our portfolio. We look at hundreds of opportunities for each investment we make. We were concerned, as just about everyone was, with the unknown as we went into lockdowns. But we weren't super surprised that our portfolio companies have all performed quite well. They were set up for success. They had plenty of cash runway and, and that important factor that I mentioned of great management teams who could adapt. So it's so more, more of a reinforcement for us. Over the last sort of 18 months, you, you mentioned there, Paul, some of the key characteristics that you look for in investments, but have you had to change your approach to, uh, I guess, how often you're investing, how many deals you're, you're willing to do over the, over the last sort of 18 months? Has your approach changed at all? No, I don't think so. As I, as I say, I think it was more of a, a reinforcement of our investment approach rather than a change, and um, and and just a realization that um, you know you, you can take advantage of these situations as well. Some some of the companies that we're involved with have been able to expand their markets. Uh, some some have thrived. Uh, we've been able to get some realizations and um, and then make a new investment as well. So, Paul, you know, we, we touched on the action that the Bailador share price has seen, um, but behind the scenes, inside the company, there's also been a lot of action as well. You've sold positions in three investments, uh, DocsCorp, Viostream, and Lendy. One of your portfolio companies, Stackler, merged with a Norwegian business. And uh, in case you weren't busy enough, you also raised $24 million for Bailador as well. Can you just talk about the changes and I guess how you're positioning Bailador for the next stage of growth? Uh, absolutely. So those transactions that you mentioned were great examples of our business model and approach. We achieved solid returns. So in the case of DocsCorp, it was 30% IRR. Lendy was 21% IRR. Uh, happy management teams. Uh, those cash realizations proved out the model to the market. Uh, they enabled us to pay a 1.4 cents per share fully frank dividend. So that was our second fully frank dividend. Uh, it's also allowed us to focus on some some new investments. So I, I think it's um, it's a good example of the the life cycle uh, of our fund and our business model. We'll hold these companies for a number of years. We'll realize them for a multiple of what we paid, uh, and then we'll recycle that cash. While maintaining the portfolio, it's somewhere between eight and 12 companies. That's about where we feel we can do our best work and add some value. So just on the model that you speak of there, Paul, uh, and for those that may be listening to you for the very first time, you know, in our previous conversations, you've stressed that uh, Baylador's philosophy of carrying investments at conservative valuations is so that you can then surprise investors with the upside when you exit. So are you able to talk to that a little? And then also, I guess the question is, has that actually played out in some of the transactions that you've just mentioned? Uh, yes, it certainly did. So uh, all three of those cash realizations were at values above our carrying value and quite substantially so. So DocsCorp, uh, we sold for a valuation 53% higher than we'd been carrying it at. Lendy was 21% higher than we'd been carrying it at. So so that makes eight cash realizations now and 24 third-party transactions in the portfolio. And I'm really proud to be able to say that all of them have been at or above our carrying value. Uh, David Kirk and I set out from the beginning to be conservative in what we say to the market and in setting expectations. And we think it's really 
important to surprise on the upside. We think it's the right thing to do and we intend to keep doing that. Yeah, I think it's a smart game to play because we all know what happens when you don't surprise the market on, and when it comes to beating expectations. So, yeah, I think it's a really interesting philosophy and approach to, to the portfolio. Yeah, yeah, it is fascinating. Paul, if you weren't busy enough with uh, exiting positions, you've also been looking at the market for new positions. And uh, one uh, investment that you've made is in instant scripts. So let's let's start at the beginning because before we were preparing for this interview, I actually hadn't heard of instant scripts. So tell us about the company. What does it do? And I guess what's Bailador's investment thesis? Sure. Uh, I love talking about instant scripts. It's uh, it's a really exciting business. First of all, it starts by solving a problem that's been experienced by a lot of consumers. And that is if they want to get a script, often it's a repeat script and they know exactly what they need, but they still have to go through the rigmarole of making an appointment with the GP, going and parking the car or catching public transport, then sitting in the waiting room until the GP is ready to see them and then having a chat about perhaps things that aren't relevant to what you really want just to get a script to go and get filled when you knew that's what you needed all along. And so that's the problem that's being solved. The way it's being solved is consumers can go onto the app or through the web interface and um, answer a, a series of questions that are uh, appropriate for a particular uh, prescription and um, we cover the the 400 schedule four drugs that are non-addictive uh, once those questions are answered that goes to a, uh, a a real-time live gp who ticks off yes you can have that script and the consumer can do that whole exercise within minutes and uh, and have a script that they can get filled at any chemist so you can do it while while you're at the pharmacy you can do it from home and pick it up later and there is a service you can have it delivered to your home and so it's really such a great experience compared to the, the rigmarole of how it was historically done. And it's a real light bulb moment for lots of consumers the first time they use it. I know it was for me and uh, I know it was for my wife. She said, this is great. I'm going to do this from now on. And, uh, and there's been over 100,000 Australians who've, uh, who've had that same experience. And so um, uh, Instant Scripts is, is thriving. Uh, it's, it's growing tremendously well. And one of the other things we like is that it, it benefits the whole medical community because it, it just takes out a lot of the time that GPs would otherwise spend on these, these routine repeat type situations and they can then spend that time solving more complex medical issues. Yeah, I can certainly see a use case for this. I've, it's often you know frustrating having to go to fill out that process of getting a script when you just really need to go and get a, a pretty simple box of tablets from the pharmacy or whatever it may be. It's a pretty annoying process. I guess the question is, Paul, like, what's the moat for this company? Where does it sit in the competitive landscape? Why, you know, yeah, why can't sort of chemists just do this? Or, you know, I imagine that, and this is probably going to be a naive question, but the tech behind it is pretty uh, easy to replicate. So yeah, can you talk us through that? Sure, happy to. So first of all, our, our thesis is that there will be more than one player involved in this segment. We don't think it's a, a winner-take-all type situation. We think the Instant Scripts management team uh, really understands the community in the market. It's founded by uh, Dr. Asher Freilich, uh, a medical doctor who also had experience in investment banking, spotted the, the pain point, knew the opportunity for a solution and has executed super well. It's something that has the support of pharmacy. So I, I don't think pharmacies 
are typically looking to go out and employ their own coders to make a product. But if someone comes up with something that makes sense for them, they'll get on board. And so more than 40% of the pharmacies in Australia uh, have already registered on the Instant Scripts platform and uh, and are very happy to support it. And so um, we think the the opportunity is, is big, firstly in that core area that I've described, but there's similar experiences in pathology, uh, there's similar experiences in uh, cosmetic clinics, so people looking for Botox and the like, that still needs a doctor's prescription, e- even though we all know it's the, the nurses who are doing the, the bulk of the work. And so there's lots of other applications in the Australian market, as well as potentially overseas, and we're, we're assessing those at the moment. Yeah, it sounds it sounds fascinating, and it is it is solving a, a real problem um, and you know a real inconvenience, I guess, for for consumers. And I think you know the last eighteen months with the pandemic, we've seen telehealth and telehealth related businesses uh, become a become a real growth area of the market. Uh, but a lot of that has been out of necessity because of lockdowns and and people being uncertain about leaving the house. I guess when you think about this consumer shift post-pandemic, what gives you confidence that, you know, people aren't just going to want to return and go back to doctors and are going to be willing to, I guess, continue to, you know, get their medical needs serviced online? Oh, great question. We're asking ourselves this question about almost every business we're looking at at the moment. Uh, in the case of Instant Scripts, it was a business that was created and was already thriving before COVID, before any lockdowns. And, uh, and certainly there's been some tailwinds of people being more willing to try and take on remote style of services. But what we've seen is when uh, in the Australian market, when the populations have come out of lockdown in various jurisdictions, the demand has just continued to soldier on. So, uh, so we we think that this business is is solving an issue that is desperately wanted and needed by a really broad cross section of the community, and uh, and COVID has probably been the thing that has accelerated them trying it out. But now they've tried it out. Uh, we're pretty confident there's going to be a lot of repeat business there. So, Paul, you mentioned the founder, Dr. Asher. Now, Freelich, Freelich. That's yeah. He'll he'll accept a few different names. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. And you know, we we often hear about the importance of founders, and and we imagine that. You know, this is especially true in, in startup and growth stage companies, which we know, and, and you've you've often spoken about it. W- what was your process for assessing the founders of Instant Script and um, you know the the executives of the team? Can you talk us through that? Sure, uh, I, I think you've touched on a good point there. That it, it is more than just the founder. So we spent time talking with each of the members of the senior exec team for Instant Scripts. Uh, we, we interacted with. Uh, Asher and his uh, right-hand man on a number of occasions, both uh, understanding the business, then spent quite a bit of time stepping through the future business plan and the opportunities for expansion, both domestically and internationally. Uh, and th- th- this might sound a little um, folksy, but also, you know, we had a nice long dinner together and then we had a breakfast together <laughs> and just got to know each other because nice. you're, going to be, you're going to be in business in all likelihood over a number of years. And as we touched on at the beginning, things don't always go smoothly every day. And the important thing is how you deal with those 
speed bumps and challenges along the way. So you, you, you need to have confidence that you're dealing with someone that you can uh, get through those hard times together. And uh, and in Dr. Freilich, we, we think we found uh, a, a natural entrepreneur who knows his market very well. He's very passionate. He inspires his team surrounding himself with A-graders. And uh, so we're really pleased to be involved. We, we invested $5.5 million just a few months ago, and we've seen um, terrific progress uh, in the business since then. And, and we think this is a company that definitely is an IPO candidate in due course because we think it's something that public market investors will understand instinctively. But also, we, uh, we're already getting out uh, inbound interest from, uh, from players in industry. I was going to say, it feels like a, a chemist warehouse or one of those big uh, pharmacy chains would be a natural like acquirer of this business. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I, I think there's a number of, um, without going into too much detail today, <laughs> I, think, I think there's a number of types of uh, businesses operating in health that, that really are starting to see how well this is going and they'd like to make sure that they uh, are part of the game. Just on the um, the founder piece, uh, I imagine when you make an investment, you're not the the first investor that's ever come on board. So when you're assessing founders and some executives, is there like a threshold that you look at in terms of how much skin in the game or equity they have in the business for you to make an investment? Uh, there's there's no hard and fast rule, but we always look at the individual. Uh, how much equity they hold, how important it is to them, uh, who else holds the equity, uh, what, what's been their track record in in business uh, previously, if they've had outside investors or if they've had business partners, and then it's all all a judgment call. You know, in, in the case of Asher, he still holds uh, a majority interest personally in instant scripts. Uh, Perennial uh, has come on an investor at about the same time as as Bailador, and we're really ple- pleased to be partnering with those guys. Also, you know, I went back and, and spoke with people who had worked with Asher over his career, and I was pleased that I already knew some of those people. And it's, it's one of the reasons David and I focus on businesses born in Australia and New Zealand. Almost every time we can find a number of people who've already worked with these founders and these teams and can give us their view. And it's it's just another data point that gives us that confidence. Yeah, it is a, it's a fascinating uh, company. And I, I think that's why we love talking to you, Paul. You, you're scouring Australia's startup scene and, and finding some really interesting businesses. Uh, we do, we do want to talk about the startup scene a little bit later, but we want to talk about two of the other big companies in your portfolio. But before then, we're just going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. 
Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. So, Paul, before the ad break, I mentioned we want to talk about two of the other big businesses uh, in your portfolio that are, that seem to be going from strength to strength, SiteMinder and InstaCluster. And I've, SiteMinder has sort of captured headlines recently. They recently raised $100 million and there were reports in the AFR uh, last week that they're preparing a non-deal roadshow, suggesting that it may be preparing for an IPO. Now, I know you won't be able to tell us if they're preparing for an IPO or not, but I guess, you know, they're capturing headlines. Can you give us a bit of an update on SiteMinder and for people that maybe haven't heard of it before, a quick 101 on what they do? Sure. So um, SiteMinder is a software as a service business uh, that serves the hotel industry. So its customers are hotels and um, SiteMinder has about 35,000 hotels as customers who pay to access the SiteMinder platform that then helps those hotels distribute their room inventory through online channels. So that's independent online travel agents like Booking.com and Expedia. It's also through channels like uh, C-Trip, TripAdvisor, uh, etc. So um, uh, SiteMinder is the world leader in that space by some margin and uh, has been performing exceptionally well over a long period of time. It's previously been reported in the press uh, that it went through a revenue of $100 million and has uh, raised uh, money at the last round at a valuation of over a billion dollars. So that's a little snapshot of SiteMinder. In terms of how the business has gone, this is one where we, we were anxious at the beginning of lockdowns caused by COVID because when your hotel base, uh, when your customer base is hotels and people aren't traveling, there's a natural inclination to think, gee, you know, what's going to happen? But I'm really pleased to say that SiteMinder has been one of the very best performed businesses worldwide operating in the travel sector. Uh, we think it really shows the defensive qualities of the business and its importance in the ecosystem. And uh, if you if you break it down, a hotel on average is paying SiteMinder uh, somewhere around $200 a month to access the platform. That $200 is not going to be the difference between uh, a hotel continuing to survive or not survive. But if they turn off the engine and the tap of being able to generate room bookings, then that might be the difference. And so SiteMinder plays a really important role there. So we've been very happy with how it's performed and very happy with the uptick in trade now that various parts of the world are coming out of lockdown. So we took the opportunity during lockdown to to double down on product investment and to expand the number of hotels that were taking up transaction-based products from SiteMinder. So uh, SiteMinder has introduced a payments product. It's also introduced another demand management product, which I, I won't go into in this forum, but basically rather than being a fixed dollars per month, it depends on the level of volume that SiteMinder is generating. And so what that means is SiteMinder is better place than ever to benefit as travel does 
uh, pick up. And so um, we're, we're super pleased with how the, the business and how the management team has performed. Yeah, that's interesting. Is is that uh, what you just spoke about? Is that what they raised the hundred million for, or is is the hundred million going to go towards further expansion? Are you able to just talk through that? Yeah, the the company hasn't publicly talked about what they're using the hundred million for, but right. but they have actually said it's a combination of primary and secondary, which means some of that was fresh capital, which will be used to to drive growth. A big part of it's just continuing to invest in product, uh, but some of it was secondary. So bringing on new high quality investors for the long term and allowing some of the earlier investors to take some liquidity. And so Fidelity has joined. The, the register and you've had top-ups from from leading names like BlackRock and Elliston and Oz Super and Pendle and uh, and that's really all about setting the company up for long term and uh, and life as a public company. So um, as we said, there's sort of reports been circulating that they might be preparing for an IPO. I guess a more broader question: How do you know when it's a right time for a company to go through an IPO, particularly like portfolio companies? What are you looking for, and sort of what role do you play in that? Sure, uh, it, it's a complex question. It's different for every company. One of the things that I I always say to management teams when they start thinking about going public is that um, it, it's not the finish line; it's the start line. Mm. Uh, that that's everything up to that point in the eyes of the public has been rehearsal and an IPO is when you step on stage and the spotlight goes on you. So you have to be very confident in your ability to repeatedly perform. So you have to have confidence that your product's right, that your revenue is predictable. As we touched on earlier in this chat, you need to be saying things to the market that you know you're going to deliver or beat. You can't be making predictions and then fall short. And so that's really a, a threshold issue. In the case of Sightminder and, and why now, well, Sightminder's performed really well through lockdowns, but that's not true of every company in the travel sector. And it's not true for some of the smaller competitors around the world in Sightminder's space. Sightminder's a very global company. About 80% of its revenue comes from outside of uh, Australia and, uh, and it sells into well over 100 countries. And so we think the time is really right for Sightminder to press home its, its advantage to double down on growth uh, whilst um, the, 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 the competitive set is perhaps a little bit weaker. And we've also identified that there, there are a lot of investors looking for a way to play the reopening trade so they can see that travel is going to be picking up again and so they're interested in how they get some exposure to that. And so a company that's high quality like Sightminer that's demonstrated its defensive characteristics, well, now it's time to show that uh, it can continue to grow at those really nice rates as well. And uh, and the other factor, as always, is management. And in the case of Sightminer, it's an A-plus management team led by Sankar Narayan, who was previously CFO and COO at zero. And so he knows what it takes to be uh, growing a software as a service business on a global basis from this part of the world. And he's doing a great job. Jeez, that's some pretty good pedigree to have some C-suite positions at zero before, you know, leading your own company. So Paul, uh, turning to your, I guess, Bailador's uh, thoughts on SiteMinder, um, you know, if it goes public, uh, we're not, you know, we're not saying that it will, but I imagine at some point in the future it will go public. How do you think about what Bailador will do with their shares? Do you think it's a sell and find the next expansion stage company to, or, or will it be, um, you know, keep it in the portfolio and keep helping it grow? 
Well, the first thing is we're big supporters of SiteMind, uh, as you, you can probably tell from the way I talk about the business. So we'll certainly <laughs> hold most of our most of our position. Ha- having said that, SiteMind has a, an outsized proportion of our portfolio. So there's a good chance uh, that if all, all other things being equal, we might realise a small portion of our holding. And that just enables us to continue on our model of investing that cash in new opportunities, probably paying a, a frank dividend while still maintaining a, a really material exposure. So, Paul, we mentioned that there were two big companies that seem to be going from strength to strength. Uh, we've touched on SiteMinder. The other one is InstaCluster. So, if we start at the top again, for people that aren't familiar with InstaCluster, what does it do and um, how how's it performing through you know this COVID period? Uh, sure. So Instacluster is is quite a technical business. They manage open source databases for corporates. Now, the easiest way to describe this is almost every corporate realizes the importance of data in their business and their customer interactions these days. And most corporates will use multiple types of database to manage their data but they often don't have the resources to become a world leader in all of those types of databases. That's where a company like InstaCluster comes in. InstaCluster is a world leader in managing a range of particular open source databases that allow companies like Atlassian and Sonos to manipulate massive amounts of data in a very efficient and effective way. And so InstaCluster, once again, very global. They've got about 90% of their revenue coming from outside of Australia. Uh, It's one of these companies where the growth has been really natural and organic and coming from word of mouth from, from customers who are having a great experience and recruiting other customers onto the platform. And so InstaCluster... Uh, just absolutely sailed through the whole COVID and lockdown situation and is producing really strong numbers. And so it's another company that has been speculated as an IPO and it's certainly capable of IPOing, but there's multiple pathways for companies like this. InstaCluster's uh, nearest competitor uh, out of Europe raised about $80 million at a valuation that we think, we're not certain, we think it was about 25 times revenue and uh, and we hold InstaCluster at more like six times revenue. So um, <laughs> we, we think that there's a lot of upside in our valuation, but in terms of the management and the right way to progress that business, uh, one option is to raise some private capital uh, and really double down on super fast growth rates Uh, Another option is to uh, list on the ASX and there's a certain expectation around profitability levels, generally speaking, on the ASX. And so you still might get really healthy growth rates, sort of 40% plus, but but a more profitable level. And so we're working through with the management just on um, what's the right option for that business, but it's just a super high quality problem to have for another really high quality management team. Yeah, it's fascinating. When, when you're thinking about potential IPOs for some of your portfolio companies, and if you know a lot of their business is done offshore, do you ever consider listing potentially in the states? Uh, definitely. You know, Insta is a great example of that. Uh, it, it has probably a bigger presence in the US than it has 
in Australia, and uh, and there's quite a lot of interest from various US parties. For for site miner, it's slightly different. Uh, you know, site miner is actually now quite well known in the Australian institutional investment community. Perhaps not retail yet because it's not a consumer facing brand, um, but certainly mentioning the names that I did before, like Fidelity and BlackRock and Elliston and so on, uh, it, it already has a following, and also. If it does IPO in Australia, it will immediately be one of the top handful of tech companies on the ASX and will get a lot of attention. Whereas if it was to list on the New York Stock Exchange or, or NASDAQ, it would frankly be one of hundreds uh, that, that are of about that size. And so it's a lot harder to get share of voice. And so there's there's, a, there's always factors like that to think about when you're uh, planning out the pathway. Yeah, well, it's a very high-class problem to have, Paul's. <laughs> uh, yeah, really... I mean, we couldn't be happier having those two as our two biggest holders. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So Severely undervalued as well. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess uh, speaking of, you know, the, the fact that if SiteMinder listed on the ASX, it would be one of a handful of sort of big tech names um we do we do want to turn i guess to the smaller tech names and the private tech names and the startup ecosystem more generally you know you're you've sort of made made your name at Baylor by finding some of these gems in the australian startup ecosystem so we'd love to get your view on you know the the ecosystem's health and and how, how you think it's going more generally so I guess if we start general, how do you assess the current state of Australia's startup scene? It's very clearly thriving and and from a number of different angles, from the emerging success stories, from the companies that have already grown into be worth billions of dollars to just the sheer calibre of individuals who are getting involved in startups or early stage businesses. And, uh, you know, in a funny sense, I think, COVID and lockdown has, has perhaps accelerated um, some people's decisions to, uh, to, to to take some leaps that they otherwise had perhaps thought about and never pulled the trigger on. And so um, so we're definitely seeing some of that. I think these days there's, um, there's a very broad awareness in the community that, um, that the tech is changing all sorts of behaviours and doing so quite quickly, that's creating investment opportunities. So there's more money flowing into into the sector at, at all sorts of stages. That's manifesting at the moment in, frankly, pretty high valuations, and that's both in public companies in some cases. But certainly in our expansion stage, a lot of the companies that we see that are generating, say, 5 to $20 million of revenue, they, uh, they look at a public comp, uh, and the values that they're trading at and say uh, that public comp might have revenues $100 million and they say, well, we want to be valued like that. So it, it comes with challenges as well. We have to be quite disciplined. Um, we're, we're happy to pay uh, fair valuations and, and our priority is to get the highest quality companies and the highest quality management teams uh, as opposed to necessarily bargains. But that's kind of the, the dynamic as we're seeing it right now. Mm. So, Paul, one sector that Australia does particularly well at is buy now, pay later. And it feels like every second day there's a new buy now, pay later product on the market. So I think the first part to this question is A, are you interested in the buy now, pay later space? And then B, if not, um, what are some other sectors that are perhaps really exciting you at the moment? Uh, So buy now, pay later is probably as good an example as any of where, you know, valuations are a little bit tough 
to uh, to justify. <laughs> uh, <been> tough. <laughs> and and uh, you know, I go right back to one of the first points. We we don't believe you should uh, invest and pay up for the assumption of perfect execution. And uh, and, I, and I think some of the valuations in that sector are kind of assuming that some of these companies go on and conquer the world. And I, I think clearly not all of them are going to. So I, I wouldn't necessarily say we're seeing hot prospects for us in that sector. But that's not to say there aren't other opportunities in fintech. Uh, we think that Australia has a track record of uh, producing innovation uh, more broadly in fintech. We think there's uh, a really interesting situation where in a, in a lot of elements of fintech, the Australian market itself is very large. Uh, and so the companies can really prove out their model and get some critical mass uh, domestically uh, before being forced to think um, more, more globally. And so we're interested in uh, a number of opportunities there. Similarly in health, uh, we've um, we've made our recent investment in instant scripts that we spoke about, but we see a number of emerging opportunities in healthcare. And it's a sector that perhaps hasn't fully embraced technology historically, but I think is rapidly starting to do so now. So, Paul, you've mentioned valuations there a couple of times. Uh, I'm sure in our audience, there's a number of people that are either running startups or aspire to one day run a startup. How how do you think about valuing a startup? Is there like a methodology that you use uh, when so much of the future is uncertain for so many of these businesses? Uh, that might be a whole separate podcast. <laughs> yeah, Fair. big question. Um, it's it, it's a pretty it's a pretty complex uh, area to talk about because you, you don't necessarily have uh, a, a broad suite of reliable, repeatable data. It, it's one of the reasons that we at Baylor focus on businesses that have at least $5 million of revenue. So you've got a little bit more chance to use fundamental valuation techniques, but it's probably a bigger topic to be honest, Bryce and Brent. Let's, uh, let's do another full topic yeah. on it then at some point. We'll, we'll put <laughs> we'll, a pin in We'll that crack one. out the whiteboard and the Excel and <laughs> yeah. we'll, uh, we'll go to town. <laughs> well then following on from Ren's question and to close out today's interview, Paul, and we do very much appreciate you coming on as always. For those that are listening that do one day hope to start their own business uh, and pitch to you as an investor or to other investors here in Australia, what would be your advice to them? Uh, My advice to someone starting out, I'd say focus on solving uh, a genuine problem with a great product. Start with that. Uh, Make your customers happy. Uh, Surround yourself with great people as you grow on the journey. Uh, Think big. Uh, but put one foot in front of the other uh, from the beginning and, and just be honest. And uh, and that way, I think you'll enjoy the journey and give yourself a good chance of success. Love well, it. Well, Paul, if anyone from the Equity Mates community ever does start a business that makes it into the Bailador portfolio, we'll expect a call and the ability to participate in that <laughs> round. Find his feet. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Well, Paul, as always, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you. As, as I said at the start, we often leave these conversations feeling very inspired about uh, investing in the, and the startup scene here in Australia, and I think that doesn't change this time around. For those listening along at home, uh, Baylor Door Technology Investments is listed on the ASX. It is BTI, the ticker. So if you want to um, get involved in the Baylor Door journey and, and uh, back Paul and the team, um, that's the way to do it. So always appreciate you coming on, Paul, and uh, – It's been fun. Thanks, guys. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Paul. 
Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of Equity Mates. We love hearing from you, so drop us a line at contact at equitymates.com or even better, go to your podcast player and leave a five-star review. Also, a reminder that the Equity Mates content train doesn't stop when you've run out of episodes to binge. We've got a brand new website, a Facebook discussion group. We're on Instagram, YouTube, and slowly making our way as an influencer on TikTok. Well, that's Ren. So uh, come and say hello and join the community. We'd love to welcome you. Until next time. Equity Mates Investing Podcast is a product of Equity Mates Media. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. Equity Mates gives listeners access to information and educational content provided by a range of financial service professionals. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal, or tax advice. The hosts of Equity Mates Investing Podcast are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Equity Meets Media does not operate under an Australian financial services license and relies on the exemption available under the Corporations Act 2001 in respect of any information or advice given. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast or video. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equity Mates website where you can find ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equity Mates Media and the hosts of Equity Mates Investing Podcast acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.